You are listening to From the Midwest to the Middle East, the latest on U.S. tax, Israeli economy, and lots of in-between. Interviewing Israeli and international experts. Chicago, Chicago. Welcome to our podcast. I am Philip Stein, president of Philip Stein & Associates. I will show you around. Hi, I'm very happy today to add another uh, addition to our podcast from the Midwest to the Middle East. Uh, today we're going to be talking about finances, financial management, and I'm honored to have Ben Maiman with me. Ben Maiman is a managing director and senior portfolio manager at KCPS Private Wealth Management. Uh, ben has a BS in accounting from YU and an MBA from NYU. Ben started his career actually as a CPA with Deloitte, so I'm, I'm really very happy to have uh, not only you, Ben, but someone from such a prestigious firm. And I think Israel's lucky to have a group like you here. So I uh, welcome you. Well, thank you, Philip. Um, thank you very much for inviting me to speak about some of the challenges facing investors today. And just please let me begin with a disclaimer that any of my comments shouldn't be considered to be investment advice, as an individual's investments must be made in consideration for their specific circumstances. So thank you. My pleasure. So let me begin. Before we get into sort of uh, what you do on a daily basis, I'd like your perspective, as many of my listeners want a more macro view. And and I I just want to go right to it and ask you, what's your view of the market? What should investors be looking at these days? Right. So it's interesting. I I guess for for some context, uh, you know, when we last spoke or, you know, over the summer, um, you know, at the end of July, global economic, uh, really, I guess since the beginning of the third quarter, global economic data has been taking a turn for the worse. And at that point, we really had on our eye on what we considered to be a more significant risk, which was a systemic breakdown in Europe. So at that point, there was really a tug of war uh, between the, the negatives, these negatives, and the possible uh, policy response by central bankers. At that point, the U.S. dollar was very, very strong, and the uh, 10-year Treasury rate got below 1.4%. Then what we saw in August towards the end of the summer was that the markets began to rise, it seems, in anticipation of uh, some of the central bankers taking action. And so even in the face of continued economic weakness, additional data suggesting a slowing of the uh, global economy, um, the markets all sort of began to rise. And at that point, we were a bit concerned and actually even thinking about how do we protect our portfolios because in the event that the uh, central bankers uh, didn't take action or, or, took, or didn't take enough action in the eyes of the market, that there could be a real material uh, sell-off. Then at the end of last week, the ECB uh, announced its outright monetary transaction, which was uh, – uh, which we consider to be significant. So that's the type of policy response we were looking for, and it seems to have met the market's expectations. It's sort of even rallied a bit more. Um, so at this point, where we are is that we, we are somewhat relieved in feeling that the um, the risk of a real you know sharp meltdown in Europe seems to have been removed or at least postponed. Um, and we're we're a little more neutral on markets just because on the one hand you have weakening economic growth and it's sort of balanced by what appear to be reasonable or attractive valuations in the market. So we're fairly neutral at this point. Okay. Neutral is better than negative. Let's now move a little to issues that, that affect my clients, and, and it's something that you know we've spoken offline uh, quite a bit over the last year or so. Why are U.S. financial institutions – asking, you know, longtime customers of theirs, clients of mine, uh, to leave 
if they live outside of the U.S. In other words, I have clients who can't open new accounts. Their kids or, or clients inherit from parents, and they want to keep uh, you know an account at the same institution. And they're they're told their persona non grata, as they say. Right. So the truth is, you know, um, I've heard about that phenomenon now for over the last say year or two. Uh, we have not come across that with the custodians, the U.S. custodians that we work with. But from what I've gathered, um, it's, it's I think it's a matter of economics, and um, you know, in in this environment where you have increased regulatory burdens on the banks and brokers, and there's higher costs associated and risks, I guess, associated with maintaining accounts for foreign residents. I think a lot of them are making a business decision that for you know smaller accounts that it's uh, probably just not worth it for them to 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 maintain them. So let's say the U.S. customers, as as we've talked about, uh, there you know it's it's a big bracha to be close to your money, um, and let's suppose a U.S. citizen who lives here is uh, working, living, has their family members outside of the U.S. And they want to start investing, or they want to have a a portfolio similar to what they might have in the U.S. Um, without creating tax complications, is you know a technical term we are more and more people are aware of called PIFIX. What's the place they should start in terms of building a portfolio? I look at um, you know these issues, the two main two main issues that's that a U.S. Uh, taxpayer citizen would face by trying to maintain a portfolio outside of the United States. One is the availability of U.S. Uh, registered funds. As you brought up, the uh, the, uh, the tourist PFIC, Passive Foreign Investment Companies, right. these PFICs, if, you, if it's not a U.S. registered mutual fund even, I mean, this would apply to hedge funds or other types of partnerships as well, I think, but uh, or, or investment companies. But um, for the... The, the, if, a, if a U.S. investor buys a uh, one of these non-U.S. registered funds, then it can create complications. So what I and um, the, the consequences of not dealing with them appropriately and on a timely basis can be uh, fairly dire. Now, and so really the solution to that, for the most part, is to buy and construct a portfolio of individual securities. Uh, whether it be stocks and bonds or whatever you know other types of uh, securities one would want to hold that don't create a, a PIFIC situation. But then um, owning those types of securities keeps uh, sort of presents another issue, which is relates to sort of the record keeping on the part of those foreign uh, custodians, because many most foreign platforms and, and to the best of my knowledge, really all the Israeli banks don't offer don't uh, provide a U.S. compliant 1099 that would break down the income streams that you have taxable uh, income streams in a way that uh, that's convenient for doing U.S. reporting. So, for example, here in Israel, there's a Shmona Shesheva 867 year end tax report. Many of them is, you know don't provide um, much detail, and the details that are provided, a lot of them are not done in a manner compliant with with the IRS. So um, it's in a, it, so it takes additional work, and, and I think both of these issues, uh, you know, the the best thing that someone could do is have an idea of what they're buying, you know, before they buy it, and give some thought to what really, is, you know, is the way to report to to decide what to buy and how to report it. And so, you know, working with the U.S. U.S. You know, uh, tax preparers that are familiar with the sort of cross-border issues, or work, and I think also it's important to work with an, an investment advisor. 
who is sensitive to the issues and can coordinate with a tax advisor um, on these fronts so as to sort of minimize uh, the consequences. Very uh, helpful to hear that. Someone gets the point, uh, they've had an exit, they've inherited some money, they've sold perhaps a property, and they have uh, liquidity, maybe more liquidity than they ever had in their life. What type of portfolio, what type of liquidity size of a an account would would someone need to have these days to be able to use someone like you, uh, and you know, who can manage their portfolio? Right. So, I mean, in terms of portfolio management services, uh, the, the, it's a very wide range. You know, the especially. Um, I think in the most local markets, you know, imagine for certainly $100,000 or something like that as a minimum, you'd find people who would, who could, um, uh, who would offer to manage a portfolio, um, and 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 then on the other side, you know, there are people. Some people require, you know, tens of millions of dollars to manage portfolios. Um, I think generally, what I would say is that sort of the more specialized and customized the services are, then there are larger minimums. And in some of the smaller uh, one, just the one thing you have to be careful for, or, or at least be aware of it, is going in is a lot of the portfolio managers, to the extent that they're going to manage smaller portfolios, many will use internal um, you know, structures to make it easier for them and, and, and cost-effective and to provide cost-effective diversification. The problem is, especially for, say, a U.S. taxpayer, um, this can bring you into the PFIC issue. And then also the fee structure is not going to be, uh, you know, what, what's, you know, what you're not, it's not going to be very transparent necessarily what you're paying. So, you know, to get someone that, you know, when you, you know, I think that you're talking, you know, broadly close to a million or above a million to a few million dollars to work with someone, I think with a more global uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me ask you some of again a, a portion of my clientele. Those we, you know, the retirees or those people who are, you know, they're they're either fully retired or they're working in a part-time basis and they're basically relying on their to maintain their lifestyle based on savings. As we all know, you know those those investments that maybe our our parents and grandparents once could put, go to the bank, buy their CDs, earn their uh, high single digits, and sort of uh, not take any risk, really, unless unless the bank was going to go under, and and then only if FDIC didn't cover it. But you know, for those those people today, it appears those low risk investments don't seem to be there anymore. Okay, and 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 where does the retiree who Probably every advisor says this is not the time for you to take right. on risk when you no longer are working and you can't replace funds that are lost. Uh, what do people like? What, pe- what do people like this do right now? Right. So um, you know the current environment is certainly uh, challenging, uh, and I you know we see it every day. Uh, and I think that uh, it's a problem shared by, as you say, you know a lot of people. You know I think that that problem is sort of compounded. People have to be aware that not only are uh, sort of nominal rates low, but real rates are even lower. And so if you're a person who's investing, and even if it's not for the very, very long term, but an important principle, I think, in investing is also to be able to retain the purchasing power of your portfolio, which means to be able to not, you know, to provide a return above inflation. And the current environment, uh, that's even more challenging. And so, you know, many people would recommend, you know, one alternative is to go into sort of, you know, higher yielding assets, which, of course, any of those asset classes would uh, present, you know, their own set of risks. 
So what we believe is the correct approach is to invest in a portfolio across a broadly diversified set of asset classes and that, you know, with the objective of structuring the portfolio to have it be diversified and with having offsets in the portfolio so that they can, you know, depending on the risk or how the market goes, there are offsets and sort of maintain the, try and minimize or moderate the volatility in the overall portfolio and, uh, and, and to manage it that way. So, you know, and to, and, and to view sort of the risk not on an uh, individual security basis, but really sort of more on a portfolio basis. And that, that's, um, you know, I think a responsible way to, to manage the money. Of course, because of the sophistication, you know, I think that's required to do that and risk and monitoring the, the markets, um, that it pays to have a professional, you know, help to do that, who's looking at sort of the interplay between asset classes and, and some of the risks uh, that uh, that present in a portfolio. That's certainly very very clear and very helpful. A um, few more questions that I do have. Going back to the other side of the ocean, uh, we you know we see very often that people who do immigrate to Israel uh, still tend to keep their assets, their liquid assets, in uh, dollar-based U.S. U.S. securities. Certainly, if someone comes on Aliyah later in life, it's it's sort of hard for them psychologically to to wrap their arms around and feel snug and secure with the shekel. Certainly, the last six months, it's been very good to to have a do, be a dollar oriented person. But uh, probably for the two years before that, being connected to the dollar and living in Israel, you were you were losing quite a bit of your purchasing power. Um, how might someone who still wants to keep their money in a in a U.S. portfolio hedge themselves against if the if the shekel once again starts appreciating? Shekel assets can be an important component of a portfolio. So that's that's another element. That's you know interest rates and yields in generally in Israel are higher than they are um, in the developed markets. So relative to the you know dollar assets, for instance. So it's, if someone's facing the challenges. Of trying to get a good yield on a on a, on a dollar denominated asset, um, they can often you know do better in a shekel based asset. So that's one way, especially if someone lives here, to be able to sort of boost their income and has the added benefit, of course, as you said, of sort of matching their expenses with their you know the income with their expenses. And there's for someone who's here, there's a number of ways of doing that. I mean, you can, you know, a, a large in many instances for a number of our clients, you know, we we will have investments a globally diversified, say, dollar portfolio, which could be managed here or abroad, and then then we could have a shekel denominated um, element to the portfolio as well, where they're given there's sort of a lot of consideration given to the to the interplay between the two components. And sort of further diversifies the portfolio and and uh, provides that hedge to their living expenses. And in some instances, you know, you could do it in a, at an Israeli uh, custodian, or it could also be done um, through a global custodian, depending on the circumstances. Where do you see an advantage of someone using, as you say, a firm like yours, which certainly has a global outlook? They've got an eye on the U.S. They've got an eye in Europe. They're they're certainly aware of what's going on here. Uh, but why would a client of mine consider a global portfolio manager based in Israel as opposed to in London or New York? Right. So uh, there, there are um, a couple of reasons. One, I mean, it's interesting, the whole issue of, of using 
uh, of having your your assets professionally managed. Uh, Michael Steinhardt, who some of uh, you or your listeners may be familiar with the name, he's on our advisory board, and he's uh, been quoted as saying that after your health care provider, your wealth manager may be uh, your most important service relationship in your adult life. So the idea is that you know professional managers can help you know construct portfolios that um, balance the inter and offset some of the risks that exist in in the markets today in a, on a global basis. In terms of why using someone locally, um, we think actually that we have an advantage or certainly a unique perspective by being in Israel in that uh, to the extent that we're really focused, our global perspective, because Israel is such a small market within the context of the globe, we have a very broad view in terms of when we're watching what's happening in the world. And as we've seen uh, in the last a couple of few years, you know, a crisis in Europe can have far-reaching impacts, you know, in China, in the United States, or in Israel. So even when we're managing money in a local market, we are bringing a very broad and global perspective to that. And then, of course, if you're someone in Israel, then you have someone very close by, not only sort of very capably, you think, watching what's happening in the world, but to be able to communicate that. Um, you know, in addition to that, or, you know, generally as a comment on using a professional manager, we think that you know we could help maintain a discipline in terms of the portfolio construction and not to try and help not to, to panic at the wrong time. And as we've been talking, you know, speaking about earlier, also having a manager that's that's familiar with the issues of a cert, you know certain you know, groups of people. And in this case, it could be people who are U.S. taxpayers or particularly people who live in Israel who are U.S. and Israeli taxpayers. Working with someone who's familiar with the issues and try and coordinate with. Um, you know, a client's tax uh, advisors or legal advisors, then uh, there can be very close coordination on those issues, which um, I think, you know, we've talked about it in the past. I think, you know, one point you brought up is that, you know, the, the tax consequences or other types of consequences around the structure or how the portfolio is or strategy is devised can have ultimately as great or even a greater um, impact on the bottom line results as the as the investment uh, performance. Is there anything particular you would want uh, our clients to keep their eye on? Uh, you know that, that that you see is it, is it the elections? Is it uh, Iran? What, what what's something they should really when they when they look in the internet or open the newspaper uh, to keep an eye on the coming year? Right. I mean, I think. Um, you know, I think all of those are are important uh, factors. I mean, at any point, the markets are sort of an interplay of of expectations and then sort of how things unfold. So, to the, you know, uh, right now it seems like some of the concerns about Iran have been, have been diminished. Um, you know, the presidential election likely will have an impact in terms of the economic data that comes out. I think broadly looking at economy slowing, it's a matter, you know, I think that whether that trajectory, you know, steepens or flattens out or turns up, that, that'll be clearly an important factor as well, as well as the sort of valuations and the uh, valuation levels in the markets. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. Okay. Well, we, we look forward to, uh, we look forward to the coming year, and we look forward to speaking with you again as things unwind. Uh, if someone wants to get in touch with you, Ben, what's uh, what's uh, your email website? Sure. So an email would be uh, bmimon, M-A-I-M-O-N, at kcps.com, and the uh, website is kcps.com. Once again, Phil, thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to doing it again. All right. I, I thank you very much, and I look forward to uh, speaking with you in the very near future. Yeah.
I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.peacestein.com or look for Philip Stein Associates on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye.